Hello and welcome to Deprogram with Carrie Smith. Today is another deprogrammed interview. I uh, just wanted to thank you if you are a subscriber to the channel. If you're new to the channel, please consider hitting like and subscribe. We are still a relatively new channel. Um, we do have our Deprogram book club is back. And we just did our first book selection. Um, we've got another book coming up. If you'd like to join, you can find out more info at carriesmith.locals.com about the book club. Uh, and we'll have links below. So I'm very excited about my guest today. I'm going to be talking with another reformed social justice warrior. I always love these conversations, finding out how people got out of the belief system I used to be in. Um, I'm going to be talking with Christina Buttons. She is a journalist at the Post Millennial and an artist and a writer who lives in Nashville. Please welcome Christina. Hello. Hi. How are you today? Oh, good. I'm, I have a day off. So I'm uh, just just getting things done around the house. Oh, good. Well, thank you for your time giving us your time and, you know, coming on to tell us your story. And I know you have a very busy schedule now with the post millennial. So I really appreciate it. So I wanted to ask you first, um, what, like on this channel, I've just kind of, I go through my story, people have I hope they've heard most of it by now if they watched Deprogrammed. Um, but I was in social justice for about 20 years and mm -hmm. I started waking up around 2016 and it was a really slow process getting out. In one of your pieces that you've written for, I think it was Colette, you talked about being a social justice meme maker. Can you t tell me what that was about? And like, who were you? Who were you before you started leaving that? belief system? Well, I grew up in California. I was, I lived there most of my life and I was always, you know, like a California Democrat. Like since I was 18, I was registered to vote Democrat and I did in every election so far. And it wasn't until the pandemic happened that I was, you know, everybody was shuttered in indoors that I really started getting involved in politics. Um, and that began with, you know, like the cutesy social justice art on Instagram. That was sort of my gateway into uh, a harder brand of activism. So you were doing, you were making social justice memes and stuff during the pandemic. So very recently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had always considered myself pretty moderate before. I mean, I, was not about like the Me Too movement. I thought that was ridiculous. And I didn't I didn't even really like associate some of the uh, the social justice causes before with Democrats or with the left before. Like I just sort of thought they were crazy people and <laughs> ignored them. Um, and then I, I was really uh, brought into all of the like social justice ideologies and stuff like that while I was uh, inside all day during the pandemic. Um, that began because I was watching the news all the time to learn about like the, the situation with the pandemic and CNN, MSNBC were what I watched and they just, they seem to blame everything on Trump and Republicans. And it, it really, got to me, you know, like the, 
I made that association. I thought that, you know, they were Democrats were the ones who were trying to save people's lives and take the pandemic seriously. And then Republicans were the ones who, you know, were the, were trying to, I mean, they were portrayed like selfishly. Mm -hmm. you know, they didn't want to yeah. wear masks. They didn't want to be vaccinated. So that, that had an influence on me watching so much CNN and MSNBC. Yeah. So you kind of, um, that th you, you saw things in terms of like the good guys and the bad guys kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And so how did you get started doing some of this artwork? I'm going to put your Quillette piece up here so people can see you're, you make beautiful art. These yeah. are some, yeah, vi very visually stunning uh, memes and ads. Um, and this is a piece in Colette called Confessions of a Social Justice Meme Maker. How did you get started doing this stuff? Um, well, I was already on Instagram a lot. And especially like when, yeah, when the pandemic started and then when all of the protests began, like I felt like this was my contributions, what I could do to help. And so I put these... I put this art together and a few of them went pretty viral. And, and what kind of, because this was so recent, uh, you know, some of my friends who've woken up from social justice, it happened after me, it happened during the pandemic. And, and so what made you start to change your mind or question some of the things that you were putting out like in meme form? Well, my art, and um, some of the comments that I had left on this one page got the attention of the owners and they asked me if I wanted to work for them. Um, posting during the mornings because they were a couple from Australia and they needed someone awake in America during the morning time to, to create content and post content for their page that has, that had like three quarters of a million followers. It was called, we fucking hate Donald Trump. <laughs> what were their opinions? I'm just kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> They're very, very progressive, much more progressive than I was. Um, and that was, you know, the idea of the page, everything was Trump and Republicans fault. And yeah, it was just propaganda. Basically it was just like outrage porn. And so that was my, my job was sort of like to study the insights and see what reached the highest, you know, amount of likes and shares and things like that. And then just keep curating content to post on that page. They don't call themselves that anymore. They changed their names eventually to the progressivists. But it was after the inauguration of Biden that I kind of realized like they didn't really have any plan to change their name or stop turning out all of the outrage porn. Um, and it just didn't really sit right with me that they were a couple from Australia who were profiting off of like keeping Americans divided uh, and each other. That's a great and point. Also called racist by my coworker. 
who you may have heard of. His name is Fred Joseph, and he's kind of like an infamous race baiter. He like got a girl fired on Twitter because he she was at a dog park with him. And she, she's known as the dog park racist. I do know this guy. Okay. He's infamous. Like just always looking for an opportunity that he can use to say is racism. Just always tweeting about white supremacy is like the biggest threat to the world. And anyway, he had called, he basically called me racist for, I, I made a, a post about Candace Owens and I referred to her like as Clandis Owens or something like that. And he and another activist girl with a big following, it said that like white people can't make jokes at the expense of black people because it's racist. I'm like, I'm going after the fact that she's a Republican. That's what we do on this page. Isn't it? The owners were they took his side and they said, well, we'll let a black person decide what is racist. And then I started thinking like, wait a second, like I'm not a racist. <laughs> Why I'm, is this, is this the big emergency? This is the big racism emergency that's happening right now. It's like, you're going after people like me and I'm just doing my job. <laughs> so that's interesting because social justice people regularly call people like black conservatives, like Candace Owens, white yeah. supremacists and try to say they're internally racist. So do you think if he had been the one to make that joke and to call her Clandice Owens, that it would yeah. have been fine? Is that, was that his point? That was his point. Yeah. That I'm not allowed to say that I'm not allowed to criticize black people because it's racist. Was, was that the defining sort of moment for you? Was it a series of things that started to make you question? Yeah, that was, that was, the first sort of red pill, I guess. And I, um, yeah, that was the first thing. And then, um, I just started looking at, at, at things more critically. Like I, I start, I realized too, like I never even like listened to a video of Candace Owens or heard her out before. I was just, oh. I was creating this content cause I was, asked to and I realized like how hypocritical I was being and then that's when I just started looking into things a little bit more critically like um I remember seeing a post about you know from the ACLU like anti-trans legislation you know preventing kids from getting health care and banning them from playing sports and then when you actually look into it and read the legislation you think like no, they're right. Like, yeah. it's, and then, I mean, once I started seeing that, like, all of these, like, cracks started appearing and all of these institutions that I trusted and the mainstream media, like, I started seeing things for what they really were. Like, CRT was a big issue mm. uh, spring 2021 when I was sort of going through this politically homeless process of just defecting from the left and that was something that I spent a lot of time looking into and then you know you'd see the mainstream media saying like it's not being taught at schools or it's just history and I knew that wasn't true 
Like I, they just flat out lied about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started looking a lot more into like the, the gender ideology stuff. That's, that's what I know you from. So um, when I met you, you had started doing a series on Substack and you write on Substack under uh, buttonlives.substack.com. We'll have all these links below if you guys want to go and check it out. Um, you report on a lot of the gender ideology that, well, one, one thing in particular you report on is the stuff that's happening in all these private groups on Facebook. I'm in a lot of these groups for parents of, of so-called trans kids. And I've been waiting for some journalist to come in and start exposing what's happening in the groups because they function very much like a cult. In my opinion, they, they, they ban and block people who don't immediately conform to their way of of dealing with the issue. If you don't immediately affirm the child's new identity, then it's considered transphobic. So that will get kicked out. You wrote a recent piece. I wonder if you could walk us through some of it. You have a recent piece in there because I think it's a great example of what happens in these groups. Uh, And it was a piece where you were talking about a mom who had introduced her seven-year-old daughter to the idea of transgenderism by bringing home some books. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that one? Yeah, it's... It's just an, it's an amazing case. Like um, in these parent groups, all you have to do, you click on a post that captures your eye, you click on their name and then you can go through their whole history of posts. So you watch them as they go through each step to like transition their kid. And this one started out as, you know, like she gave her daughter some books for Christmas of girls transitioning into boys and then one month later, exactly one month, she says, my daughter's come out to me and said she thinks she wants to be a boy. I wonder if there was something that I did to confuse her. <laughs> yeah, and it's incredible because when she first gave, the, she posted about giving those books to her daughter. There were some other parents in the group who said, you know, it's great to see, you know, you supporting your, your trans yeah. daughter. And she said, no, my daughter's not trans. We're both allies. Mm-hmm. That was the first post. One month later, hey, my daughter thinks she's a boy now. Did I have anything to do with that? Mm-hmm. And, like, you can see in the comments, too, like, the report, we go through all of the comments. And it's, um, it was, like, it was, like, this brand new announcement. Like, she said, like, her daughter just said it to her, like, 15 minutes before she wrote the post. And people are already, like, bullying her into using male pronouns and so she she concedes by using they them and stuff like that to talk about her daughter who she said 15 minutes prior had come to her and said she wants to be a boy yeah and like you can tell too that she just like she cares so much about what people think of her and like that she gets these like social justice virtue points every time she she posts about like the steps she takes to transition her daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She started off asking, you know, could it have been something I introduced? And then towards the end of it, she's not only now uh, sort of bowing to the, the, the mob or the people in the, who are telling her what she should be doing. They, they start off by saying you're misgendering your son. 
you need to be yeah. calling your son a he. And, mm -hmm. and so by the end she's using, she's not using he, but she's using they, them. Um, she also says by the end, and this is over the course of, I'm not sure how long these different posts she was doing about her daughter. She said um, at one point that her daughter also said she wants to be black and that, yeah. she, that <laughs> she thinks she's black. <laughs> that sounds like a kid who knows that she's trans she wants she also wants to be black now it's like this mom i believe is using social justice ideology to kind of like drive a wedge between the daughter and the father who she says is a conservative so that means that he's anti-lgbt and um she she's making like these decisions about her daughter's medical care and stuff like that without him. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, she refers to him as a bigot, all this stuff. Like it's, it, it looks a lot like parental alienation syndrome to me. That's like, it's a pretty common thing for like parents who are going through a custody battle where, so she's using sort of social justice ideology to like bond with her daughter and like keep the husband, the, the father from like having a relationship with her or something like that. I, I'm not explaining it that well, but she, she, yeah, she's using social justice ideology to sort of like bond with her daughter and, what are some of the you're making me think of something I noticed in the group, which is that there seem to be some trends in the group or um, things that a lot of the posters have in common in these different yeah, groups. This is one of them where it's a lot of times it's a single mom who is at odds with the father and they, they use, you know, like the fact that like the, the father doesn't like that the, their kid is becoming trans and they'll use that to bond with their kid and, you know, have it be their, their thing or something like that um, to keep them away from the, the father figure. It's something yeah. I've noticed like, repeatedly. It's a lot of single moms. Like you're saying, yes. Uh, they usually speak of the, the ex-husband in a sort of a negative, negative way or outright call him names and stuff. Or I've noticed if the father is in the home, uh, a lot of times the father is mentioned as being maybe not as on board as the mom. And, mm -hmm. and it, it's mostly, have you noticed it's mostly m women? It's mostly mothers. I don't see a lot of fathers in there. Right. Okay. It is. And like, you definitely get the sense of, that there's some like Munchausen by proxy going on. Like they like the attention. They like having a special kid who gets special attention from the schools and they get a, all this praise online for, you know, the steps that they take to transition their kid. It's, it just happened. It's happened so often. I think these groups that I'm in all of the groups and like, it's like there's a dozen a day per group where you see some kind of progression happening. Some parent like taking the, their kid to the next step and everybody cheering them on. And then you see posts where, 
you know, they're reluctant to take the next step because they've been hearing things about, you know, puberty blockers not being a pause button on puberty or completely reversible and safe. And they say, no, like they all just pile on like, no, you, you have to take this next step. Otherwise your kid's going to kill themselves. And like, it's why, why do you care? That's what some people, that's what I've heard. Some people who are trans activists, they pose that question. What's your answer to that? Why do you care what's happening in these groups? Cause I was, I would have been one of these kids. Like I'm, I'm exactly the type of person when I was a, I was a teenager. Like I was a tomboy. I had a lot of mental health problems. I was like in and out of hospitals for hurting myself. I was flat as a board and I was younger than everybody else in my grade too. So everybody else was developing and I was like, I felt like less of a girl. I felt like I didn't have, um, I mean, I, I wore baggy clothes. I liked, I thought I got along better with boys, even though like I had no friends. Um, like I'm exactly the kind of target that social justice activists would have been looking for to transition. And I just, I, when I read these like detransitioner stories, like I feel like I'm reading something that I wrote and also like the, the connection to autism. Like I'm, I have Asperger's and, uh, you, you're probably aware that there's like a lot of girls on the spectrum who are usually targets for gender ideology. Yes. I was going to ask you when we were talking about the trends or the things in the group that, that seemed to be a pattern. One of them I've noticed is that there's a lot of parents posting about their, their child has an autism diagnosis already. Mm -hmm. And now they're deciding they're trans. But the strange thing I've seen, maybe you've seen this too, is um, it seems like the ones in the group who are aware of this, that there's a high incidence of, of autistic children now saying they're trans, they don't view it as maybe um, maybe the, the autism somehow making the child more susceptible to this idea that they could be trans. They view it as some kind of intrinsic link. Like as if a statement of fact, they say, well, we know that it's that there are more autistic people who are trans. Have you seen that? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Um, I just know, like, especially like from, from my own personal experience, like I was hurting when I was that age. Like I was trying on different diagnoses to see what fit to find out what was wrong with me. Cause I knew I was different and I didn't get along with other people my age and I wasn't functioning at the level that other people were. And I was so awkward. So if someone had just merely like suggested to me that I could have been a boy trapped in a girl's body, I would have latched onto the idea mm -hmm. and I know I would have looked for confirmation bias everywhere to convince myself that I was trans. Mm -hmm. And that's how I see a lot of kids today, these, these young girls especially, that remind me of myself. Like they, they're just, they're hurting. They're looking for an escape. They are unhappy with their body like I was. And 
think that maybe if they are bec they become a boy they'll they'll feel better they'll have a fresh start they're they're just unhappy yeah so i'm i'm going to switch gears here for a second and ask you about uh, what are some of the dangers? This is an article, this article, for example, that you wrote, and in some of the others, you mentioned some of those dangers with giving a child puberty blockers or uh, cross sex hormones. And even in some cases, they're doing surgery on minors. And, and sometimes the parents in these groups, they gloss over these things. Or I've seen like in that, that one article where people kind of poo poo that and they tell the parent, don't worry, it's very rare that people end up regretting it. Um, can you, just in case this video ends up somewhere where there's a parent watching who has a child who's considering medical transition, what are some of those potential dangers? Well, I'd also like to point out too, like the, when people use Google to search this stuff, the way that like the search engine optimization works is like they, you get results that are just, not true you know like they you'll you'll get results about um how there's like you know like a one percent regret rate or something like that when it's just not true like they're they they have a way a lot of times trans rights activists like they'll take statistics and then they'll misinterpret them and then they'll use you know whatever interpretation fits their narrative to like prop it up. Um, there's just, there's just so much bad information out there, especially like, because this is just all happening right now. Like so many more people are going to be detransitioning. De like the, the information is just not out there yet. We don't have it yet, but um, with puberty blockers, one of the big problems with that is like when they say that it's completely reversible and it's a pause button, they're referring to like their on label use. I mean, like they there's puberty blockers on label or can be used to treat precocious puberty. And that's, you know, when a kid who's like six or seven or eight or something like that starts getting signs that they're starting puberty. They can go on these puberty blockers and then they come off of them when their real puberty is supposed to start when they're like 11 or something like that. But they're, they're, they're taking these like descriptions of puberty blockers saying that they're completely reversible, completely safe, just a pause button or something like that. And they're applying that to their off-label use, which is to treat gender dysphoria in adolescence. Mm. When, it's that's not accurate at all like you can't you can't say that it's just a pause button when you're going through rapid growth and development when you're 11 or 12 or 13 years old when this is given to them so let me just clarify this if i uh if i can for anybody listening so so the the on label use is for something called precocious puberty that's where they're starting puberty early and so yeah the puberty blockers are used for just a couple years to delay the onset, but then they take them off and they go through puberty. That's right. Yeah. But so what now they're using it for gender dysphoria, which is they're, they're putting them on these to delay puberty 
indefinitely until they get on until they get on cross sex hormones. Yeah. And like what happens is like they're so like if a boy is on puberty blockers when he's 10, 11, 12 years old, his penis is going to stay the size of a child. Um, like that doesn't just that doesn't just catch up and 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 grow like the, these decisions that kids are making like they have no idea what is gonna happen later like when they're an adult like just imagine like a kid waking up realizing he's not really a girl and now he has like a micro penis and is never gonna be able to have an orgasm. Mm-hmm kids can't consent to these kinds of treatments that they're giving them. Yeah. I mean, I think a great example of that is to go back to that mom that, that we were talking about whose daughter said, I think I'm a boy. And then also said, I think I'm black. I mean, that's how, (laughs) that's how uh, to put that much stock in a, in a child saying that so much stock that you would be willing to let them use medical intervention on their body. Um, I just, yeah. I just, I'm wondering what's happening. What, what is going on with all of these parents that they can't see through it? Activists are telling them that kids know as they, when they're as young as three years old that they're trans. And like, no, they don't. We've been trying to, trying to tell them it's not true. Kids, kids don't know who they are. Kids are in just a constant growth and development and change trying on different things saying things to please their parents like why are we like throwing out all of this stuff that we know through child developmental psychology like why are we throwing out all of this information that we have about how suggestible kids are and how easily influenced they are and how they just want to model themselves after a parent or a role model or something like that like Everybody's just decided to throw out all of this information because it's transphobic or something like that. There's something called gender constancy theory where you can take like in it, you can take this experiment on kids ages three to seven. There's this developmental period where like if a boy puts on a dress, he thinks he becomes a girl. There's this experiment you can do where you'll show a child ages three to seven, a two dolls, a Barbie and a Ken and Barbie has the purse. And then when you give the purse to the Ken doll, they think that Ken becomes a girl because he has the purse now. Like they, it's, it's, they don't have the same concept that we do of, of biological sex yet. And, I've actually seen some of the parents in these groups disclose that, that their child, Oh my goodness. There was one I saw. It was a mom who, who was talking about how their uh, trans daughter. So they mean biological son, their son had started puberty blockers, had started the whole process. And then um, she said that she said that her, her daughter meaning son has just realized that she's not actually going to become a woman that he's not actually going to become a woman. And that kind of blows your mind at first that, that somebody wouldn't realize that, but you have to remember they were, a lot of them were very young. They're between the ages of three and seven. They probably think they're actually going to turn into 
Oh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that, and that's not, that's not actually possible, but you've got these activists who are telling them that it is. And so um, what do you think, what do you think of, I want to, I want to get back to your, your personal story in a second, but just on this issue, since you're doing so much research on it and um, a lot of writing on it, uh, uh, on your Substack, where do you think this is going to end up? Have you thought much about the next few years about what it's going to look like? There's going to be a lot of lawsuits against these gender clinics who have admitted that in the absence of solid evidence, they've sought out the opinions of thought leaders and innovators in the, in the field. And they actually admit to that, you know, they say things like they, they want to put up minimal gatekeeping and roadblocks to getting young people into surgery and things like that. You know, I are, we have another case study coming out today. Probably it's going to be posted shortly after we're done talking. Colin's editing it right now. And it's uh, a mother who is rushing her daughter into getting top surgery, her 15 year old daughter. And then at the, at the surgery center, the daughter has changes her mind at the last minute, doesn't go through with it, but you have, you go through the history, this, these mom, this mom's posts and, and look how like eager she is and how she's just trying to rush her daughter through these steps and manipulate the system by like, she couldn't get her former therapist to sign a letter of recommendation for her daughter to get the surgery. So she like goes to an endocrinologist instead to get the, to the, get the authorization letter and like just when when she goes through her daughter's history too she talks about how like it's only been going on for a year that she's decided that she's trans and like uh she has just like this long history of mental health problems and it's just it's just sad so we, we put these case studies together to get to, so that people can see like what's really going on, what we think is going on. Um, I saw, um, I did a post just on Twitter about one of the patterns that I had seen in these groups uh, sometime this past week. And it was one of the patterns you mentioned Munchausen's by proxy. And mm -hmm. I had seen a few with parents whose, um, whose child has now decided to detransition. I'm seeing more of these than I used to. And, and what I found kind of naked in, in the response of the parents sometimes was that, that Munchausen effect where um, one of the moms was saying how disappointing it was. And she said, you know, he needed me and now he doesn't. Or she said, they, she still was using the they pronoun. They needed me and now they don't. And, and, and I saw another where the parent um, uh, basically admitted to being devastated uh, because the, the child had decided, her daughter had decided she was actually a girl. And uh, she, she was interesting because she continued also to use the they pronoun in her post. But she expressed great relief that she wasn't going to be kicked out of the group for this now that her, her child is going <laughs> to detransition. Because it's almost... Uh, well, well, why do you think that is? What, what do you think is happening with those parents? Oh, 
Yeah, I think I think the attention is probably like irresistible to some people. Like if you think about like they're, you know, they probably don't have anything special about them, but then they get the opportunity to have a special child who is transgender and needs all this special attention from school and doctors and therapists and I think there's definitely that element of Munchausen by proxy going on for sure. Yeah. They almost make it part of their identity. A lot of them, the, the, one of those moms, I went to look at her profile. You're in a trans mom. You know. Yes. It was her whole profile. It was, it was, um, you know, the trans flag is in the background. Her bio says, um, sis, Cis woman, proud mom of a trans kid. It's all about being the mom of a trans kid. Yeah, that's what social justice is for a lot of people. It, it's it's in place of an identity. You know, that's where you have all the all the things in their bio. Mm -hmm. You know, you've seen it all. Whatever the current thing is. Well, so you when you so you were doing these memes um on a really popular platform pushing social justice ideas out into the mainstream and then you started to have these these questions and this waking up moment and now you're doing something decidedly different you're actually doing investigative journalism about social justice in the realm of gender identity what was there any fallout for you with social circles or family or what what happened with you when you started changing your views not my family, but uh, I mean, the platform that I built while I was working for that page had grown to like something like 33,000 followers on Instagram. And, you know, every every post since sort of defecting from the left has caused me to lose hundreds of followers per post. So like in total, like, I can't even can't really put up a number on it because I've, I've gained some followers back, but like I probably lost like 15,000 followers from uh, leaving the left. Yeah. It's just controversial things, you know, that like, you know, there's only two sexes or we shouldn't cancel each other. That one, a lot of people have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, we shouldn't cancel people. We're going to cancel you. Um, and say things like, you know, like not all Republicans are racist. I, I really believed that that was something like what I, what I ended up doing, I quit working for that page. I sort of took some time to like sit back and observe things for a little bit, but I also sought out other Republicans to talk to because I had never talked to them before. Yeah. I didn't know Republicans. Um, to find out what they were really like. And lo and behold, I discovered that they aren't a bunch of racists. That that is just something that the left uses to to draw people to their platform. Mm -hmm. um, what is it about you that you think caused you to be able to see through some of the, the bullshit eventually? Like, is there anything that you can think of in your personality or your background or, you know, sometimes I ask people this question and they say, Oh, well, I have family who 
escaped communism, you know, and, or I have a, a nature that's very anti-authoritarian. People tell me what to do, you know, is there anything that you can think of that, because not everybody wakes up. Some, yeah. some people in your position would still be making those memes, even after they get called racist. My education background is in science. And I, for a very long time, was really into skepticism, you know, critical thinking, read all of the books on it. And I guess, like, during my time working for that page, like, I, I had to abandon a lot of my critical thinking skills to be able to, to produce like that outrage porn. Um, and I, I was able to, you know, go back to, to the skills that I had picked up, um, learning about science and skepticism. And that's, what's really helped. That, that was similar to my experiences. I don't think I realized when I was in, I was in social justice a long time, like two decades. And before that, when I was really young, I mean, I read all the time. I was a voracious reader. And that was one of the big things that I noticed a difference when I got out of it was suddenly I started, I wanted to read again. It kind of stopped. I, I kind of shut my brain down a little bit. I would just read I had some guilty pleasure reading I would do, but I wasn't really learning anything other than the social justice approved texts, you know, that they would have us read. Um, but uh, I, it was sort of like you put your, I put my mind or my critical thinking, like you're saying in a cage and you don't even notice it's in the cage until you open it up and let it out. And then you're like, Whoa, like I'm, I'm interested in all these other things again. Yeah. I, was, I was really mad at myself for, for not using like all of the skills I had learned, um, you know, learning about all of the different like logical fallacies they are, that there are. And what was really, what was difficult for me to grasp was that like, you can't trust mainstream media. Like that, that was hard for me because like I, I, I knew I didn't want to be like associated with like the conspiracy theorists. Like that was, that was sort of ingrained in me like that. I didn't, I, I didn't want to be one of those people who like didn't trust our, the government or the, our institutions or the media and their, their, their journalistic standards. Like I, I was really opposed to that for for a while and now i've i've kind of embraced it like i i stopped watching the news yeah do you think um what do you think it is about specifically within the gender ideology part of social justice we've talked about how autistic kids or kids with asperger's or kids who are neurodivergent are sometimes more susceptible to this ideology why do, why do you think that is do you have any ideas? I'm not, I'm not asking for research on it, but. It's, you get the sense that you, you know, you're different than everybody else. And you can't really quite like figure out why. And, and that's why you sort of, what transgender ideology offers is like, 
an explanation for why you are the way you are. Like you at this point in your life are the way that you are because you were born in the wrong body. And the solution is to transition and go on drugs for the rest of your life and get surgeries. And then you'll be a complete person again. You'll be your true self. So like it, it offers them a solution to what they think is their problem, but it's not. And at the very beginning, I'm sure it's, uh, it doesn't help that you get a lot of validation from people. Yeah. Oh, it's an instant built in community. And, um, like an instant following if you want it. I mean, it's, it's very lucrative. Mm -hmm. It's, it's very appealing to people. Um, and it's, it's like a struggle too for people to go through. People like to have sort of, sort of like struggle, struggle to overcome. And like you get a, this built in, group of people who are on your side and then you also have opposition and it's like it creates this dilemma for for you people are people who are sort of like drawn to drama they tend to like that it gives you a hero narrative yes mm -hmm. Where it's like i've overcome this i am i've faced depression and I've overcome it and I'm this, I'm proud to be this marginalized person, this group, whatever that I'm identifying with. Status yeah. of being oppressed. Have you, you come, have you come across, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, cause if you're not a cis person anymore and that's the worst thing you can be. So yeah. cis white person. Have you, in your research, come across uh, the straight pride flag? I was just told about the straight pride flag. I didn't know about it. The, yeah, it's just black and white stripes, isn't it? Oh, is it? I was told it was gray, which I thought was even worse. Exactly. It's just like the most boring colors. <laughs> yeah, and then when they present this to kids, which they're doing all the time now, like teaching kids about all of the different flags of sexualities you can be, like... It's like, you can pick one with all of the different bright colors that are pretty, or you can have the gray one. It's up yeah. to you. Only the emo kids would pick the gray one. I'm kidding. <laughs> so um, I was wondering in your, in your research and in these groups, I finally found a group that I would recommend for parents. If there's any parents watching. Concerned parents? Hmm? That group? Is that the concerned parents yes. group? Yeah. Yes, it's called Concerned Parents of Transgender Non-Binary Kids. Um, are there any others? What, what what resources or what advice might you have for any parents whose kids are coming home and telling them, I think I'm born in the wrong body or I think I might be trans? Uh, well, there are a number of organizations where you can get better information from, like GenSpect, Society for Evidence-Based Gender Medicine, S-E-G-M. That's what they're called. There's Sex Matters. There's there's a number of organizations that are that are growing and strengthening their body of evidence, providing studies and statistics and things like that that are accurate. 
for parents so they have better information and support. So Genspect, SEGM, and, and Sex Matters. I'm going to put those in the description of the video just in case. Uh, yeah, Transgender Trend is another one. Uh, I link to all of these on my oh. pages, I think. Great. And we've got you linked below. Um, <laughs> so uh, do you just want to tell people, people can visit you if they want to uh, check out your work. They can visit you below, but just so people know where to find you online, um, where can they do that? All my accounts are buttons lives on Instagram, Twitter, I'm on YouTube, although I don't really use YouTube um, that much, but substack buttonslives.substack.com buttonslives.com. And you're writing for the post millennial now. <laughs> Yeah. Like very recent recently. So you guys go check her out on the post millennial under Christina buttons. Uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks so much for having me to talk.